This podcast is brought to you by Oldport Batman. The hero the Oldport and Maine deserves. Portland's cosplay king and his wife Batgirl are currently booking Comic-Cons, charity events, fundraisers, birthday events, and any special occasion where you need your favorite superhero. Go follow them on Instagram and like their Facebook page, Oldport Batman, or you can contact them directly at oldportbatman at gmail.com. And this podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mama. Moon Mama is an organic beeswax company. They make candles, lip balms, lotions, elderberry gummies, and more. You can check them out at Moon Mama M.E. on Facebook and Moon Mama M.E. on Instagram. And if you check out their Etsy page and you find something you like and want, you mention this podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Your mama... What's up, what's up, what's going on, people? Today on the podcast, I've got Natasha Suleiman and Ashley Roberts from Health Choice Maine, a nonprofit organization that's made to help patients learn more information to help them make good choices with their doctors. Should be a great conversation. Enjoy. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. This is pretty exciting. It is. Very exciting. I um, you guys didn't get the chance to watch the debate that was on WGME or was it WMTW? Uh, the one just the other night, the yeah. most recent one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah, watched, watched it. That. You did. Yeah, my head exploded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wait, I, I, she, the doctor, seemed like she had a hard time uh, explaining exactly where she was coming from. I don't know if you feel the same way. Well, okay, it's hard to put into words because it sort of leaves you speechless. I felt, well, let me back up a little. All right. Let me back up just a little bit. <laughs> I know Dr. Blaisdell. Oh, personally? Yes. Well, not an, as a acquaintance at, in a prof- at a professional level. My kids went to the same practice that okay. she was at. We had a different pediatrician, and I've known her since she started practicing in Maine. We've been there longer than she has. So it's sort of, and I've always known her as a very pleasant, uh, friendly, excellent physician. My son was uh, hospitalized once for his asthma. She was the pediatrician doing rounds. And my son um, doesn't do very well being sort of stuck in a room. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he was 12 at the time. He's like, get me out of here. And she understood that, and she was able to get us get the pulmonologist in and get us out of there right away. Wow. So there's w- lots of wonderful things about Dr. Blaisdell. But watching the debate the other night changed my perception quite a bit. Why is that? Well, because you have sort of this, this sort of, I have, and I think most people who know me have heard me say multiple times, I like Laura Blaisdell. I think she's a great doctor. She's helped my family a lot. She's never pressured our family at all, ever, for vaccines when my kids had to see her hmm. in that office. And then to, to go from sort of a personal perspective to this perspective where she's saying basically how I felt as a mom, I don't care about your kid who got 
hurt. That's what I was seeing from her. So it was really difficult besides all the lies she told. So there was like this. <laughs> all, all the lies she told in the debate? Oh, yeah. I mean, the very first one, all vax. What, what did she say? She said, there is no medical intervention safer or more effective than vaccines. Then that's just simply not true. No, not at all. That's just. That was her opening statement. Why? Why do you think that she went in the route that she went? She she didn't seem to want to talk about what was being asked. There, well, to me, it seemed like there was kind of this disconnect where doctors kind of have this. God complex, you know, so many people know, you know, how arrogant doctors have a reputation of being doctors and lawyers. And they seem to just have this idea that touting 60 medical organizations, 60 medical organizations over and over and over again is somehow going to make people go, oh, yeah, okay, Mm. I definitely want to listen to that. And to me, all it said was, okay, great. These are all places I can no longer trust. Yes, absolutely. Well, and also on top of that, it's not it's not accurate that every single provider at every single one of those places is in favor of the mandates. Those people just don't want to speak out because they don't want to lose their jobs. Which is understandable. Yeah. I mean, you need a job, especially after going to school for, what, 15 years or so to yeah. become a doctor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now it's understandable. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it was a little hard to. I like I watched just that little bit and then when I heard her say that I had to turn it off for like 12 hours and I didn't watch the rest of it until like the oh, next morning no. because I just thought if this is how it's going to go I can't continue to watch it but yeah <laughs> I was I was floored in the fact that she didn't have points you know what I mean there was a lot of repetitive conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and it seemed as if she was more attacking towards her opponent than she was trying to actually get information out. Yeah. 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 She seemed to be more intent on just attacking the campaign. Yes. And talking about how great her campaign is versus the other campaign instead of actually the issue at hand that they're campaigning (laughs) on. (laughs) Which was really weird because a few times she would bring up, now I might be confusing some of the different debates, but a few times she would bring up something that was completely irrelevant to the topic at hand, like say, oh, Samoa. Mm-hmm. And then and then she would say, well, let's get back to Maine. That's not the issue at hand. And it's like, you just brought up Samoa. Yeah. <laughs> what What is it exactly that happened with Samoa? And I, I know there was a doctor there that was trying to treat patients and he got arrested, or was that a different country? Well, that I think I don't really know about that man. And I think... I have absolutely no, like, expert knowledge on the situ- on that guy. But I think he was in the Samoan government, and he was a health official. But he was um, suggesting people for people to use things like vitamin A. Um, and okay. the government didn't like that. But they found themselves in the situation they were in because two toddlers had died the year before right after an MMR, after their MMR vaccines. And I believe that what happened is that the nurse prepared the vaccine wrong, or that's the story, Hmm. that the nurse prepared the vaccine wrong, incorrectly, and they died almost instantly after the vaccine. So the health ministry or health department in Samoa decided they would halt the vaccine program so that they could investigate what happened. 
Now, okay. Samoa already had a lower than herd immunity vaccine uptake to begin with, and then they halted it for almost an entire year. Hmm. And then they have a measles outbreak, um, which some people might suggest that it started, hap- the outbreak started when they started vaccinating kids again. Or some people might say that it came in from another country. But I, I don't know, but yeah. So. And now it could have been started by vaccines. Is that because they shed? And they would have been. Well, the MMR vaccine is a live virus vaccine, so you're vaccinating with the live measles virus. It's like the whole idea that we're going to cure measles, eradicate it completely while using a live virus vaccine is just counterproductive. Yeah, it's just kind of silly. It it doesn't work that way. And in Samoa, they have um, a lot of malnutrition, um, and a, uh, a lot of people have not enough vitamin D, which seems weird because they're in a tropical climate. But, you know, perhaps their uptake isn't, you know, some people genetically don't t- uh, have a good vitamin D uptake. Um, some, uh, excuse me, vi- uh, some African countries have higher measles incidence because genetically they don't process the vitamin D correctly. Yeah. And that's why so you want to have the, the you want to have the measles naturally so that you don't get these big epidemics. Yes. Um so it could be similar in Samoa. I, I don't know the but but if you don't have a good immune system and because of malnutrition and you don't have perhaps good uptake of vitamin D for some reason and then nobody is getting measles because you've been relying on vaccine immunity forever and then people stop vaccinating and then you get one rogue person Mm -hmm. coming in from somewhere else and you've got a situation where you're going to have a big measles outbreak and now what is measles a lot a lot of people are like scared they hear the word measles and they hear the word mumps and they just go (laughs) off the rails from what i what i understand is it's not really outrageous you know it's 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 a rash and a couple of different cold symptoms right you're not wrong. Okay. Um, I'm not an. I'm definitely not an expert on measles, but I mean, there's Brady Bunch episodes where they all get the measles and they're all sitting around playing board games and eating ice cream and staying. You know, they stay home for school for a week and that's that. Who's the um, um, Who's the uh, maid from the Brady Bunch? Oh, Alice. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't Alice like make a big chalkboard yes. chart? And yes. includes the dog tiger too. <laughs> you know who's had the mumps, who's had the measles and the chicken pox, and yep. yeah, it's like a big nothing. Same as chicken pox. It's it's yeah, pretty much nothing. Pox. Which nowadays is a catastrophe, apparently, <laughs> to have the chicken pox. I mean, we had it, right? I, I absolutely had it, yeah. Me, I got I it from a chicken pox party. Yeah, yeah me too. A girl at my daycare had the chicken pox, and my mom said, great, we're going over to their house. And the it whole daycare went issue. over to their house, and we all got chicken pox at the same time. Yeah, I, um, I follow the BBC Facebook page, and last year in North Carolina, uh, I think in Asheville, there was a small school, a Waldorf school, where there was a chicken pox outbreak. And it made national news in the United States. And wow. Because the, you probably have the entire school has chicken pox. Because yeah. all the parents are like, great, let's get some natural immunity. Well, and they're Waldorf parents. So right. let's, let's be honest. They're all like natural 
you know, would rather get it over with. Mm-hmm. So the BBC picked it up. And I'm reading through the comments on the Facebook page. And you could tell everybody that was commenting was either you could say, oh, yep, they're British. Yep, they're British, too. Because the British people were like, we call that September. <laughs> 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 What's the problem? Why are you even reporting this? And, you know, the Americans are like, I can't believe these parents would do that. It's so dangerous and so irresponsible. (laughs) How could you possibly allow your child to get chickenpox? That's wild. I got chickenpox when I was like five. Absolutely. Me too. I don't remember it, but I'm still alive, so. Yeah. It was itchy and it was was uncomfortable, (laughs) but we got through it perfectly fine. I remember I got it. Right the week before Easter, and I was so upset because I had bought a pretty, my mom had bought me a really pretty Easter dress, so I got to put my Easter dress on, but I had to stay home. I wasn't allowed to go to church. (laughs) So there's a picture of me with my chicken box, with my dress. Covered in calamine lotion. Yeah, covered in calamine lotion and oatmeal. oatmeal Yeah. (laughs) Did you get to do your Easter egg hunt? I don't remember. By herself. By herself. Yeah, probably just me and my brother. (laughs) Oh, poor Ashley. It's unfortunate. <laughs> that, that was the most it, traumatic part of chickenpox. <laughs> which is has nothing almost to do with the actual symptoms, right? It's unfortunate yeah. for everything else in life or that surrounds yeah. it. Mm-hmm. We have <clears throat> we we went to uh, a discussion the other night with a nurse practitioner from Blue Hill, Maine. Her name is Claire Mortimer, and she was talking a little bit about chickenpox, and it would be great. Like if nobody ever got chicken pox, right? Because once you get the chicken pox, the virus does stay in your body forever. Is that what results in shingles? And that's right. what, yeah. Okay. And then when you get shingles, it's a very different kind of, it's not like just spots on your body. It can be very painful. Mm. Um, and, you know, some people get them in their eyes. It's, it's just, it's really, Yikes. it can be really, really painful. So if nobody ever got the chicken pox, that would be great. And I think that was sort of the idea behind the vaccine. But what they're finding now, for example, in in Britain, where they don't do the chicken pox vaccine, by and large, nobody, every, most everybody gets chicken pox, and they have a much lower rate of shingles in the mm. adult population. And children, like children now, are getting shingles. And... The hypothesis, or what I've read, is that, well, their reasoning in the UK for not having the chickenpox vaccine was because they didn't want to create an epidemic of shingles. Understandable. Mm -hmm. They knew that having children walking around with chickenpox is going to, let's say Ashley is 70, (laughs) and and she's she's my grandma. And I get chicken pox, and she had the chicken pox when she was young. I'm giving her immune system a natural booster just by being around her. So her immune system is like, is going, oh, yeah, I remember that virus. I'm mm-hmm. going to build up more antibodies. I'm going to keep you healthy. And so then hopefully Grandma Ashley doesn't get shingles because there's other kids around that are constantly giving you that natural immunity. But we don't have that anymore. So we have herd, well, we have vaccine-induced immunity. Mm. We don't have herd immunity. What's the, what's the difference between herd immunity and yeah. vaccine-induced? No, <laughs> <laughs> okay, herd immunity. Well, herd immunity is a theory um, based on, really, originally, agriculture. 
and when livestock, hence yeah, livestock. the name, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Herd. So yeah. a friend of mine's wife is a veterinarian, and she she loves talking about herd immunity with people because she's like, here's what you need to know about herd immunity. Herd immunity is something that veterinarians take into consideration because if you give a herd of a thousand cows a vaccine and ten of them die, okay, that's just the cost of giving that vaccine. If you give a thousand dogs a vaccine and ten of them die, you just killed ten people's pets. Yeah. Because dogs are different than a herd of cows. Dogs are individuals that their life matters. It sounds sad, you know, when you're talking about cows, (laughs) but to a farmer with a thousand cows, if he loses ten, it's not the end of the world. Price of doing business. It's the price of doing business. It's the price of using that vaccine. That's a decision that they made. So she was, when I was discussing it with her, she's like, the idea of using herd immunity with people is just saying people don't matter. That's exact. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we have to put the herd of people ahead of individuals who might die. Yeah. That's that sounds slightly inhumane. It does. It does. Yeah. And the original, like when you're translating it to people, I think the the theory really is based on having the natural disease rather than the vaccine, because then. You, if you have, say, for example, measles, you would see that the measles has outbreaks, like big outbreaks, every so many years. Every three years, you have really big outbreaks. And then for a few years later, it's much less. And then you have this new batch of kids who were born and they were breastfed. They don't have their mother's immunity anymore. Mm. And all of a sudden, the measles starts to come through again and you get another big outbreak and so it cycles but generally speaking all those that each batch of the population who get who get the measles in that big outbreak they carry that for the rest of their life and that is herd immunity that natural immunity protecting this huge herd of people but we know that vaccines especially vaccines like the measles they don't last forever. No. Which is what happened at Disneyland, and the majority were adults who were vaccinated. Really? Yeah. How, how, do you know the figures on it? Do you know how many people? I don't know off the top well, of my head. Well, that's because adults can't get measles. These are childhood diseases, she said. Isn't that learned in the debate? Because these are childhood diseases because... You know, children are these vectors of diseases who just run around giving oh, each yes. other diseases. Oh, yes. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I learned in the debate. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I was talking. To, I was um, talking to Tasha on the drive over here, and I said, "You know, she, Dr. Blaisdell said that about how we're specifically talking about childhood diseases, mm. and that's all that's mandated. But what she's forgetting about is the daycare mandates, and those are, in my opinion, even more aggressive because yeah. you have at two months a two-month-old infant going to daycare, which you know, if any." two-parent family where both parents work or a single-parent family where mom or dad has to go to work full-time, that kid's going to be in daycare at two months as soon as maternity leave or paternity leave runs out. They have to get hepatitis B. How is hepatitis B a childhood vaccine or a childhood illness? So Mm -hmm. I'm really curious how two two two-month-old infants give each other hepatitis. That's a good question. (laughs) It's spread via dirty needles, Mm -hmm. unlicensed tattoos, using dirty needles or unprotected sex with multiple partners. Multiple. Multiple yeah. partners <laughs> who have hepatitis. So 
If your <laughs> infant is getting unlicensed tattoos, <laughs> using dirty needles, having unprotected sex, you have bigger we problems. Need to address <laughs> yeah. You have bigger problems than yeah. hepatitis. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's also not just for that; it's for college students, right? Which are uh, the adults. Uh, you know, know what? What is the what's state the technicality on that? For a college, the state of Maine. So if they go to a University of Maine school, they need to have proof of an MMR and proof of a tetanus vaccine in the last 10 years. And they recommend the uh, meningitis vaccine. And that's it. So that's all that's required for college. But private colleges can add their own recommendations and then if you're in a program like a medical program dentistry nursing medical school probably veterinary veterinarian school they may have other um, requirements beyond that for those specific programs but really mmr tetanus and recommended meningitis and that's just 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 for college yeah now this this paper that that I have here a copy of. This says uh, DTAP, which I have been calling TDAP for ever. <laughs> well, TDAP is mi- what they give middle schoolers. So, so it's the same concept. So after a certain age, I think it's after seven or eight years old, they switch from DTAP to TDAP. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> so this says at two months old, in order to be in childcare, you need six separate vaccinations. Now, is this just six separate vaccinations, or is this six including boosters? Well, at two months old, I guess there'd be no booster, right? No, so so that's the thing about the daycare, too, is it's on a monthly schedule. So we keep hearing, oh, well, if this mandate goes through, parents can still space things out if they want. No. You've got about a month to space things out, or two months at the most. I mean, your your biggest gap is between six months and 15 months. That's your that's the biggest gap that you've got. Um, and then 18 to 36 months. But in those first first couple months of life where your there's baby no is the sp- most vulnerable, mm. there's no way to space that out. I mean, you would have to go, if you wanted to try to space those out, let's see, we've got, it. well, in two months, you have to get DTaP, Hib, polio, hepatitis B, PVC-13, and rotavirus. Rotavirus is not mandatory, but recommended. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. But it's, they're going to push it on you. So yeah. we'll, we'll throw that We'll throw that in there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm. then two months later, you need a booster of all of those. Which makes zero sense to So me. let's say you forgo the rotavirus and you just get five. That means you're going back to the doctor every other, I mean, yeah. at least once a week. Essentially, or every other week. Yeah, that would be spacing them out, going just about every week. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah, yeah. That's way too much. Yeah. And even Laura Blaisdell on, um, she did a radio interview, I believe it was the 13th of February, um, on WGAN, and you can just Google Laura Blaisdell WGAN, and it'll pop up. And, you know, what I've been hearing is that they sort of, they're talking about the K through 12 vaccines and they skip, they skip the preschool stuff. And somebody asked her about that in the interview and she said, well, you can space them out as long as you're not going to preschool or daycare. 
which is which is not feasible. No. <laughs> a lot, no. There's a lot of children in daycare and yeah. preschool. Yeah, it's it's discriminatory. Yes, um, it puts a lot of pressure on um, single parents, especially, and people who. I mean, that if you don't do this, and you don't have a lot of extra income, one parent is going to have to quit their job to mm-hmm. stay home with their child. And what is that going to do to people? If you don't make a certain income, you're going to have to, I mean, we could be talking about all kinds of different state assistance that this family is now going to have to be on, which they never needed before. And all because they just, they talked to their doctor and didn't want to do the happy because their baby doesn't shoot up IV drugs. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Their doctor said, you know, we agree with you, but we can't write you a medical exemption. They don't exist in Maine anymore, but we agree with you. I mean, they don't exist anymore. The or the non-medical exemptions don't exist anymore. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is this going to affect um, services by DHS? Like, if if the the Anymore question if if no were to be the option that wins out, is DHS going to be affected oh, by this? With, with the law as it is. The, the current law that the, we're operating? The current law that we are operating under, to, to be clear, long? since 1977. So okay. the law that Just has been clear. in place since 1977, <laughs> you you currently can't have your children take, taken away for failure to vaccinate or for being vaccine hesitant or for spacing things yeah. out. People are but, still allowed to get their WIC mm-hmm. and TANF, t- what, uh, TANF, TANF, SNAP, yeah. TANF, and yeah. Yeah. TANF, yeah. Um, <laughs> and all the services, you cannot be denied for non-vaccination. However, we still have problems with, you know, mom goes in and has the baby and mom and dad are like, hey, wait a minute. This baby's hours old. Neither one of us use IV drugs. Neither one of us have multiple partners. We don't, neither one of us have hepatitis. We're not getting the baby a tattoo anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need this hepatitis B vaccine or I don't think we need a vitamin K injection. You know, maybe we want to do the ointment instead or maybe we just want to forgo it altogether. And those parents are routinely harassed with, well, if you don't, you know, we really have to, we have to call Child Protective Services. You know, this might be a problem. Um, what is, what exactly is vitamin K? It's a it, vitamin? It's, it's a vitamin. Um, I'm not as familiar with the ingredients in the injection but it is to help with clotting so which i just don't understand why a baby would have problems well it's it's one of those things where it's administered to every infant essentially um a friend of mine is a um, chiropractor and when his daughter was when his first child was born they refused the vitamin k vaccine and the doctor was adamant you have to get it you have Mm -hmm. to get it. you have to get it your baby could bleed out it's so dangerous if you don't get it and then they went to go do the heel stick to test the blood and she had not been injected for vitamin K. She was clotting too quickly. They couldn't get the heel stick. Wow. They couldn't get, you know, they had to prick her like 10 or 20 times to get Jeez. one drop of blood. Think of what that would have done to her. Right. I mean, who knows what could have happened to her? Clearly her body was clotting very quickly. Which, yeah, is, which so, is a good thing. Well, yeah. And then yeah. that's yeah. why, well, I haven't read any literature on it, but I've heard about hypotheses that that's one of the reasons why you see so many babies with jaundice now is because everybody's getting the vitamin K K, and you have babies that are already having clotting and it thickens, essentially it thickens the blood up. So then the kidneys can't operate, right? Their liver isn't working because of the vitamin K. Um, 
But, you know, there are some serious, it is a serious thing to consider with vitamin K. The vitamin K injection does have a black box, black box warning, which means that it can cause death. But you don't know if your child is going to three days later have a brain bleed. I mean, it does happen. Yeah. So you do need to be sufficiently educated on the risks you're taking of not doing any sort of vitamin K. Mm. I mean, it should be something that you talk to your, o, your OBGYN or your pediatrician, your nurse midwife, whoever your medical practitioner is. What are my options? Can I, some countries, I believe in Scandinavian countries, they have mom um, up, increase their dietary vitamin K, meaning the foods that they eat. Yeah. Um, you can get oral drops. You could do the injection. So there's a lot of different, or you can say, I don't think I want it at all. And that should be an option too. But there are babies who do suddenly have brain bleeds. So it is something that I think is important that we don't just say, oh, well, you know, vitamin K isn't important. I think it's a really valid discussion to have with your doctor. And Assuming that your doctor doesn't lie to your face. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, well, that I mean, and that kind of comes back to the importance of these medical organizations that aren't owned by pharmaceutical companies that aren't, you know, they're not making their decisions based on what a pharmaceutical sales rep has told them or what their boss has told them because it's trickled down from XYZ corporate donor. Mm. So it is, yeah, you need to have a doctor that you can trust, and those are unfortunately becoming few, few and far and, between. Few and far yeah. between, and good doctors are getting pushed out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not... It's not any secret that that's how the opioid epidemic started, that the sales representatives were lying to the doctors. They were saying, it's going to last longer, you won't need as much. But they knew that from the feedback from the patients, you know, doctor, the patients were going back to the doctor and saying, it's wearing off, I'm in so much pain, I need another one. But they knew if that patient took another one too soon, the risk of addiction would go sky high. But the reps, they just, they didn't care. They didn't care about all the lies they were telling. Um, And yeah, it was making huge money, so of course. So why should we believe what doctors, the information they're getting from pharmaceutical companies? Because the track record is not, is not a good track record. It's true. The uh, the pharmaceutical companies, like, n- do you know what's inside? A, what how they make drugs like OxyContin or or no. what what is actually inside that? I have, no I, I have no knowledge of it either. But to watch it pretty much cripple our state, and I, I just read something recently that said um, Maine has the highest rate of infants addicted mm-hmm. to opiates. I read, that I read that, yeah. And that's mainly because of big pharma. Mm-hmm. And now understandable all that all the vaccines that are made by big pharma probably contain these same ingredients if not worse ingredients that are causing problems. So we see problems, we see vaccine injured people mm-hmm. and we see um pretty much vaccine injured people mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of like Cyanide. issues yeah, so, yeah. They, yeah encephalitis yeah. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder I wonder if if these vaccines cause issues for later on in life, if CTE because I know these some of these metals that are in there mercury mm-hmm. and or titanium, they cause encephalitis mm-hmm. and CTE is just chronic encephalitis. So I wonder if later down the line, if that is assisting in like because children in sports, 
they get hurt. They smack their head around a little yeah. bit. But I wonder if, if those chemicals have half-lives. If they disappear or if they stay inside your body for the duration of your life and cause issues later on as well. That's, those are really good the, points. Yeah. To my knowledge, I don't think it's been studied. No? Uh, I, I don't know. For I mean, I don't know for a fact there might be a study out there. I, I haven't heard of any study hmm. talking about that, but that would be something that they should study. It, I but agree, it's yeah. it's one of those things where everyone's body is a little different. Yes. So some people are going to metabolize the vaccine and their body is going to be able to handle those adjuvants and the heavy metals and their body is going to be able to process it and handle it and get it out of its system or... And some kids, they don't. They, you know, it crosses the blood-brain barrier because of the polysorbate 80, and it stays there, and it lives there, and then it manifests, and then you get more and more and more vaccines with more and more and more heavy metals. Yes. And it, all of a sudden, you've just caused a huge reaction. You, you know, you've triggered massive encephalitis or... Um, what What is polysorbate? Is that what you said? Poly- polysorbate 80 is a chemical that's in the adjuvants, and polysorbate 80 can pl- pass the blood-brain barrier, which is part of what causes the problem. Because now you're injecting a chemical that and has a aluminum. Yeah. And that aluminum can now cross the blood-brain barrier. And I know um, Clara talked about it the other night. I can't remember where the study was done. I want to say it was England. Well, there's a... I'm trying to find a post I did um, that looked at it. Uh Dr. Chris Exley, he's a scientist, uh, a British scientist who studies a lot about uh, the effects of aluminum. Um, I don't know anything. I just know his name, and he's associated with um, aluminum studies in humans. Um, And he's now, because he's sort of been helpful to the autism community, um, he's being sort of wakefielded. I'm sorry, I'm getting on this. No worries. (laughs) He's, people are starting not to take his science seriously because... The science is settled. Yeah, the science is settled. But there are two... I'm going to try to find it. But there are two different studies. Um, If you you look up a YouTube video, you can probably find it on YouTube or Facebook uh, on children's health defense. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. did a talk where he was talking, he had a phone call with Paul Offit, who is a vaccine uh, inventor and vaccine pusher, promoter, expert. Um, And so at the beginning of RFK Jr.'s advocacy for safer vaccines, he calls up Paul Offit, and Paul Offit probably didn't know why RFK Jr. was calling him, so he's like, hey, Bobby, you know, he's probably pretty stoked that... A Kennedy was calling him, and yeah, they're, would be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't really know his reputation yet, and he didn't have a reputation yet. He didn't have a reputation <laughs> yeah. yet. So they're talking, and he he was talking about aluminum and how fast or slowly it exits the body, because Paul Offit's side was saying was pointing to one study saying these results show that it leaves the body quickly. And RFK Jr. said, oh, well, what about the, I can't, oh, it's, it's an Italian name. It'll come to me. What about the such and such study? And RFK, according to him, it went silent. Hmm. And he said, yeah, that was interesting. So the study that RFK was pointing to was showing that 
the absence of of the aluminum excreted from the body is showing that the aluminum is staying in the body. Really? Yeah. And so in Paul Offit, if you want to interpret his awkward silence, would mean that he understood that too, that there was a problem with the results of that one study showing it's not leaving the body and therefore we have to ask ourselves, where is it? And people with... um, I believe Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. A long time ago, there were stu- there's not so much talk about it anymore, because they, I suppose they don't want to have people talking about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, but there was a, a connection between aluminum collecting in the brain and the onset of Alzheimer's, and so somehow we've forgotten about that science magically in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, but I think they did some in another study. See, I know about studies, but I'm not a person that can go, oh, this mm-hmm. person, that person. Yeah. Um, they did do studies on the brains of autistic individuals, mm-hmm. and they found high levels of aluminum in the brains. Really? Yeah. Do you think that has any correlation towards the autism? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And do you think that is caused primarily by what's injected into them? At a young, young age, as we're seeing here, two months. Do you know, would you happen to know the ingredients in these f- six vaccines that are, or five, because rotavirus, you said, is, is an optional one. Do they all contain aluminum? I don't think they all do. I know hepatitis B does. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about all of them. No, I um, but I, I know for a fact hepatitis B has it. Um, I took some notes from Claire. I was going to say, Claire had actually discussed that last night because she was, or two nights ago because she was discussing the the EPA limits for what is safe aluminum to have in the body. And I think for, she'd said for adults, it's 25 micrograms. Yep, 25 micrograms for adults. So about 12 micrograms for babies, which to me still seems high because a baby's a lot. A lot smaller than half the size of an adult. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and look, I'm, a, I'm a very large adult. I, a baby is right. yeah. I mean, way less than half. Our size. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. apparently 25 is safe for both me and you and you. Hmm. Yep. And me. And you. <laughs> All of us can have 25 micrograms of aluminum and it is safe. Um, however, there are 225 to 500 micrograms of aluminum and hepatitis B depending on and that's kind of, that's the tricky part with vaccines and their ingredients is it really depends what? on yeah yeah, yeah. 225 I've never heard those to 500 micrograms now is that per in a, injection oh wow yeah. and so then in the bottle the the little bottle that they repeatedly take out yeah they have to make sure to yeah that is who's who knows that those are those are actual real values. Space, you know, right just blew my mind. <laughs> oh, wait, but wait, there's more. There's more. Oh no! <laughs> Get you set against against your knives. Um, by the age of eighteen months, they get five thousand five hundred micrograms of aluminum. By how many by months? Eighteen months. Eighteen months. So a year so and a half. But the maximum is 25 micrograms. That's what's safe. For adults. adults. 12 micrograms for baby per per day, I think, is what they said is is acceptable. Why? Why? (laughs) Why why are we jamming these kids with all this aluminum? The aluminum one else knows this information. No, it's it's there. Because vaccines are safe and effective. Yeah, yeah. The because, well, and, and if you ask a doctor, why does my baby need hepatitis B? They're going to tell you. Well, because the CDC recommends it. 
Well, why does the CDC recommend it for infants, for children? Well, because if a vaccine is recommended for children, then a manufacturer is no longer liable for it. Makes sense. I, I mean, it makes. I'm, I don't agree it with it, but it makes sense, it. But yeah, from them, from them for yeah, for their standpoint, I guess. So the FDA is the one that licenses it. You know, the, so it goes through the process to get licensed by the FDA. But the CDC is the one who recommends it. Recommends. Recommends it for either children or adults or pregnant women or people over sixty five. Yeah, hookers and drug users or you know, whoever. Yeah. But they don't have to recommend it based on the safety the safety studies, quote unquote, or the licensing or lack thereof, or lack right studies, yeah. right? Yeah, I think the Hep B was only safety tested for a very short time. Um, and it was something like oh, less than a week to see if it um, mounted the appropriate immune response, and it did. So they're like, okay, great. They in, got what they wanted. They so got what they wanted. It. So that was it. In their in their uh, people that they used to study. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is probably not a, a substantial amount of people. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. But the but. the um, the history of some like if we're gonna talk about the Hep B, Hep B and Hep A vaccines. The, hep, the Hepatitis A vaccine is not required nationwide. Um, and it's on the CDC recommended schedule, but it's not required by a lot of schools and it's probably not required by a lot of daycares nationwide either. Um, but the way that they kind of got onto the schedule was because they saw a need for a certain population. They thought there are these people that are IV drug users Mm. and um, people who have unprotected sex, and we want to help them and their children not to have to live with hepatitis B. But they couldn't get that population to take the vaccine. (laughs) Surprise. (coughs) So instead of working on maybe outreach and getting that population to take the vaccine, they just said, all babies need hepatitis B vaccine. And that's the same thing with hepatitis A because you find it's generally um, has outbreaks in certain areas and certain populations. And it's, you know, the oral fecal thing. So it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, restaurants, you got, they have it in San Diego and Los Angeles now because of the huge po- uh, homeless population. Yeah. You know, those, those places make sense to have outreach and go say, you know, we don't want you to get sick. Well, by the way, hepatitis A is not a deadly disease. Generally speaking, it will make you sick, but you'll get better. So in my opinion, the vaccine for hepatitis A is not really needed. But it's a tool, and they could do outreach, and they could go to those communities. And if people want to get it, good for them. That's, yeah. that's their choice. That that's but the choice. it doesn't need... So the, so, so this history <laughs> is that they see these populations, they can't get that population to take it, so they give it to everybody else. That doesn't... That doesn't make sense logically. You can even go to the CDC and read the history of these. It tells you right there. That's wild. So you were asking about why aluminum's in the vaccines, and it's in the adjuvant for the vaccines, because it will boost the body's immune It'll It causes it, it, inflammation. It, yeah, it'll cause inflammation in the body's immune system, so the body has a greater reaction to the vaccine. So it's okay to, to try to manufacture a bigger response, essentially, is the... is the purpose of the aluminum in the vaccine. So it's not I necessarily don't know that it's needed. 
I don't know that it's necessarily needed. I mean, I'm not I'm not a vaccine expert. I'm not an immunologist, but I don't think it's necessarily needed. Yeah, I think the pur purpose is exactly to help to mount a better immune response. Right. Now, thimerosal, on the other hand, is used as a preservative, and that's why it's in some vaccines. Preservative for chemicals to, or for food? For the um, for the vaccine. For, for the, vaccine. the vaccine itself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they say, so for example, thimerosal is in multi-dose flu vaccines, and we know that, that that's, that's a fact. It's in there, you can read it on the box. What's not generally known, um, if you go to the CDC or other sources, they'll say that um, mercury has been removed from several vaccines. And so they use it in the manufacturing process, and then they take it out. But what's left in the vaccines are trace amounts. So if you were to drop a vial of a supposedly mercury-free vaccine, you would still need a hazmat team really, to come and clean it up. So then, therefore, there's not just trace amounts. Well, They're saying trace there's am trace amounts in the injection. There's trace amounts. No, there's trace amounts in the injection, but th those trace amounts are so great that they would be poisonous. If they were put in a glass of water, they would be considered poisonous. Really? Mercury is one of those no-no chemicals. Yeah, that, yeah. That, and if you I, can have it in therm thermometers. Yeah, and if you break the thermometer, it's, it becomes a, a really bad situation. My husband, when he was little, he used to play with, the, they'd break thermometers and play with the mercury, <laughs> yeah, which I did might the same explain thing. a lot about him. He's <laughs> 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 like, it was great. There's so much fun. <laughs> it has a weird feeling to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just kind of like. See, you did right too, right? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and if you can find, so maybe share with your listeners, um, there's a YouTube video you can find when you mix aluminum and mercury together. They take a little block and they put a little divot in it and they drop some mercury in it and it just causes destruction. And that's what, so you're not supposed to give an aluminum vaccine and a mercury vaccine together, but they do all the time. Um, like, oh, I can't even think of them right now, but it's a bad combination. Like maybe a kid getting a flu vaccine and getting- At Walgreens. At Walgreens. And then they go to their pediatrician. And they get yeah, the varicella the next day or whatever, yeah. 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 It's not a good combination. It yep. really is neurotoxic for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been told, uh, I don't know how valid it is, but that the flu vaccine is from the prior year's flu virus. I, I know that they choose which strain they're going to do. But it doesn't um, necessarily cover you for my it. Under, my understanding, and this is even, you know, what no on one campaign people will, you know, people who are pro-mandatory vaccines and want to all the mandates will say is well you know they make an educated guess of what they think that strain is going to be this year and that's the strain that they use and sometimes they get it wrong and you know that's why you might still get the flu oh um, but it'll be a much milder but it'll be a much milder oh, version of the flu mm -hmm. you know and that's why you need tamiflu so now you need two pharmaceutical Don't products isn't, get me started on isn't tamiflu <laughs> killing children yes it appears that way. Yeah. yeah. What do you, would you happen to know why? I, I don't know. No. Enough if you Tamiflu. look at um, the warnings for Tamiflu, it does say that it can cause your heart to stop. And, and in seizures, children, seizures and hallucinations. 
Oh, and it only yeah, and Excellent. it only reduces the flu by like twenty four hours. Well, literally, it, literally. Isn't a flu just about twenty four to seventy two hours? No, it can give be or take? a couple weeks. Yeah. Oh, I've never had a flu that long. Yeah. Well, you probably have a really healthy immune system. Yeah, it's from f- it's, it's from playing with the mercury. <laughs> 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 You're well preserved. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Claire Mortimer the other night she said that for flu shots you would have to give about um, seven. What is it? 70? So, so seventy-one people would have Thank to you. get the flu, or excuse me, have to get the flu shot for one person to miss getting the flu one time. What do you mean? Explain that again. So she, w- she was talking about the efficacy of the flu vaccine and based on the statistics of the efficacy, 71 people, so say there's 71 people in a room to prevent one of those people from getting the flu one time that they were exposed. All, all 71 of them would have to get vaccinated. Wow. So the only rest stopping of one them person. would still get the flu. Yeah. Where's the logic in that? There is none. There, there doesn't seem to be any. Because they can do it. Well, and she, she was talking about that, you know, the disconnect with the medical communities is, like, they're just so trained to believe whatever they're told by the CDC or by the pharmaceutical industries that she's got colleagues who are like, yeah, so when I get my flu vaccine, I just take Tamiflu at the same time because I know I'm going to get the flu. So I just take the Tamiflu and that way, you know, it's a milder version of the flu because I've gotten the vaccine and then I get the Tamiflu and it's a little bit shorter of it. But now you have certain state CDCs telling people get two flu vaccines. You know, you need to get get them twice a year. In the summer and the winter? Uh, Apparently. Well, and young children who've never had the flu vaccine before are supposed to get two doses. At one time? No. Like a month apart or something like that. Because their system hasn't been primed before for the flu vaccine. Hmm. They haven't gotten used to the mercury yet. So what are we what's what's the vote for Tuesday? Because a lot of people are not understanding what yes on one even means. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest description. Or what no. Dis- they think well, that, that it's was an anti vax bill. That was my that- big frustration of the debate and I um I really wish the Yes on One campaign had corrected the moderator on that because the moderator on the um the debate Thursday night kept saying this vote is to repeal a law. It's not repealing it's not anything. Repealing. The law that we've been operating under since 1977 is in place. Yeah. LD 798 or question one, so LD 798 would repeal that law and put in place a new law repealing the philosophical and religious exemptions. And that, so the, the excuse me, question one would veto the repeal. Okay. That's what it would do is it would, saying yes, would simply say, I want to keep in place the law that we've had. For years. For years. And, and that's and that's the rates really that we have. Yeah, and that's really something that they aren't talking about. They're making, you know, the camp the no one one campaign is making it sound like if we if the vote goes yes, all of a sudden all of these children who have all of these diseases are gonna be allowed in school and nobody will have to get any shots at nobody all. will get any. Nobody will get any shots. Uh, parents are, you know, foolish. Sick. Yeah, parents just don't want to do this. They're too lazy. They don't want to. We're all crazy anti-vaxxers. Yeah, yeah they they don't <laughs> they don't know any better. So we have to force them to do you know things like that. And yeah, I think Laura said, 
I'm done compromising. Yeah. The time for making a compromise is over. I've spent my 15 years... Okay, I shouldn't be this. My, <laughs> I, I spent the last you know how 15 it like years. Our houses when you're watching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she says she spent 15 years trying to educate and reach out to different communities and teach people why it's so important. And the time for making a compromise is over. There is no more middle ground, according to Laura Blaisdell. So a no on one vote is going to make sure that anywhere. So the new law would go into effect, and basically anywhere under DHHS or the Department of Education, wherever there was the option to have a non-medical exemption, so a religious or a philosophical exemption, they're gone. So basically it struck the non-medical exemptions out of DHHS and DOE. They're gone. Okay. And that's what will happen. It will only be medical exemptions. Which is a whole different yeah, issue. Which mm -hmm. is a different issue altogether. But And then the yes would simply keep the law in place. Keep yeah. the law. That's it's been there the whole time. It simply just allows people to choose. It allows parents to have a discussion with their doctor. It allows parents to have a discussion with each other and decide what's appropriate for their child. It allows children to go to school. And that's a, the thing about children with infectious diseases going to school, I always like, you don't, anybody who says that children with infectious diseases are going to school doesn't know what they're talking about. Because if there is a chicken pox outbreak, for example, and chicken pox is one of the more common ones, if there's a chicken pox outbreak and your children have not been vaccinated against chicken pox, they cannot go to school. They have to stay home. And they have to stay home for a long time yeah. with, with chicken pox. Mm -hmm. Because anytime a new case pops up in school, the clock starts over again. So if it's a really long outbreak, your kids are going to be home for a long time. So essentially by, by voting yes on one, you could potentially be making it more difficult for yourself if your child gets chicken pox because then they can't go to school. The, well, they can't. I mean, the, the, your, at, your child can't go to school. Even, so even if, even if question one fails and the mandates get repealed, then you can definitely can't if go you're, to school. Well, if your child got chicken pox... Your child's, and it was vaccinated, whether your child was vaccinated or not, your child wouldn't be able to go to school if you have chicken pox. I mean, you can't, you can't send a, a sick yeah, child no. to school. They're very, the school rules are very clear about that. But, um, but yeah, this whole idea of, oh, well, one of the, doc one of the, I can't remember if it was in, I think it was one of the videos that they showed during the debate. Um, oh, God. Where they were talking to one of the doctors and he was like, you know, it's really a shame that these kids have to stay home because they're not vaccinated when these outbreaks happen and we don't want that to happen anymore. And I just had to laugh because I said, okay, so you don't want them to stay home for a month or two weeks or whatever the period is because the incubation period is different for each disease. You just want to kick them out of school altogether. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that make makes sense. no sense. Not at all. Makes no sense at all. And the other, you know, they talked a lot about, uh, Laura kept on mentioning these outbreaks of these deadly diseases. And she was talking about whooping cough, chicken pox, and mumps. Polio. Well, she did bring up polio, but there hasn't been any polio for... Hundreds of years? Y uh, not hundreds, but it's the been last, a few decades. The mm -hmm. last case in the United States, I believe, was in the 90s. Um, but in Maine, it's been like 30 years. Yeah. 
So really, yeah, hmm. yeah. I thought those things were eradicated because <laughs> of the vaccines. Well, it could help. That's that's a that's, whole, that's, that's whole another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Polypolio, yeah, we're not like going to talk about polio. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody interested in learning about polio can go and look at ageofautism.com and go uh, search for age of polio. Very, very interesting information. Hmm. Yeah, but Mark, Mark Black, is that yeah, the Mark, uh, was Mark Black has Olmst, a book? Diane Olmstead. They were going to write a book, but they didn't. Okay. So it's and just then, on the website. And then Susan, Suzanne Humphrey's book mm-hmm. um, talks about it too, Dissolving Illusions. But, the, you know, these deadly or these uh, outbreaks in school, we should just mention the biggest one is pertussis. And we know for a fact right here. Got that. <laughs> <laughs> Do a Laura. Yeah. Um, yeah. Straight from this main CDC, um, this is the two th- uh, 2018 pertussis surveillance report. And I did call the main CDC a couple weeks ago, and I asked them about the 2019 numbers because these uh, official reports don't come out until about June for the year prior. Okay. So I wanted to ask her if she could give me a ballpark figure on the 2019 numbers. And she said they were gonna be roughly the same as 2018. And as we can see from the main CDC, we have about, where, where am I? I can't see without my glasses. Um, I don't know if this is, uh, thank you. <laughs> but we have about 78% of the, um, of the cases happened in um, vaccinated individuals. So, what's the point of the vaccine then? Well, Claire brought that up. Uh, Here, Claire, herd immunity. <laughs> well, so Claire, I did. I didn't actually know this until the other day. Claire was talking about it, um, and she's a family and nurse practitioner, and she was saying that. So the pertussis va- vaccine is tetanus diphtheria and acellular pertussis. Tetanus. They have evidence now that tetanus, one tetanus vaccine, lasts for about thirty years. I don't remember what she said about diphtheria. I don't know if she delved into that. But acellular pertussis stops being effective. That particular vaccine, it declines in weeks. In two months, it's not effective. So what's the point of putting it inside that vaccine? Well, that's what she was saying. She's like, I don't understand why they would put tetanus and pertussis together. Because a tetanus vaccine, you really need one for life. You know, if you have an incident, I've gotten like three. Yeah, yeah. They well, and the recommendation the is, is every ten years. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a boost, right? And you, I mean, and, and that's one of those things where if you want to get a boost every ten years, you you certainly can. You could also just get titers then and see if you still have the antibodies to it. And you can also get the TD vaccine, which is tetanus and diphtheria without the pertussis component. And the other thing she mentioned about um, pertu- the pertussis vaccine is that, or maybe she didn't mention this, maybe I read it, Um, once you get that vaccine, it makes you more susceptible to getting pertussis for the rest of your life. Hmm. And it doesn't stop you necessarily from ever contracting it, (coughs) Um, but it, it suppresses the symptoms and you can still get it, but it suppresses the symptoms. So you don't feel sick. You don't have the whoop of the whooping cough. You just think you have a cold 
and you're walking all around spreading pertussis to everybody and you go to the doctor and they don't even test you for it because you've had the vaccine. Because there's no possibility. Yeah, there's no way. That happened. That you could have it. Yeah, it happened to my daughter. We went in. They're just like, oh, her asthma flared because she has a cold. Mm-hmm. She can go back to school. A few days later, the nurse calls me and said, you know, I really think you ought to bring her back to the doctor because her asthma just is not resolving. And so we went back to our doctor's office. We, you know, because it was a sick dis- visit, so we saw a different doctor. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I really don't think it is. You've been vaccinated, but I think we should just test you just in case. And it came back positive. And we'd, she'd been at Gorm Middle School spreading those germs everywhere, you know. And they don't. Wow. And get this. If you are unvaccinated for pertussis and you're in school and there's a pertussis outbreak in your school, you don't have to leave. They don't. That's how not serious they take pertussis outbreaks in what, general. What is pertussis? Whooping cough. It's, it's a cough. It's just, it's just it's, a and it's deep, very dry cough. It, where it's dangerous is it, it can be dangerous for infants, yeah. and it can be dangerous for the elderly. Just like... Or immunocompromised or, people, right. yeah. Just like the common cold is dangerous for infants, dangerous yeah. for the elderly. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't go into a nursing home if you're sick. You don't go into a nursery mm-hmm. if you're sick. It's just some common sense things. Yeah. Right. Right. But I, I mean, was, really. yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they don't exclude for pertussis. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're unvaccinated for measles and there's a measles outbreak, your kid has to stay home until they're allowed to go back. But if a whole bunch of kids have pertussis at school and you're not vaccinated for it, you're welcome to stay. I wonder why that is. Because I think they just can't control it. They can't. The pertussis is so, why it circulates so prevalently that they, yeah. they wouldn't be able to stop it. Would you happen to know how many cases of pertussis there have been? Well, we can tell you in 2018. There were 446 diagnosed. And we don't know if that was vaccinated or unvaccinated, right? Um, I don't know if I got the right one. I don't know if that has that on there. 446 out of, there's just in over the, a million this, people here. In yeah, Maine, right? I didn't. Right. So didn't it's, right I mean, it, I, I'll find it. You, you can find it. But that's also just the people who were actually diagnosed because right. like you were saying like you brought your, you just said you brought, mm-hmm. your doc, your, brought your daughter and oh no, we don't need to test for that. Um, I went in for a cough last February and um, the doctor says to me, oh, it sounds like you might have pertussis or some like paraprotussis or something. But, you know, we're just, I'm just going to give you some antibiotics. They didn't test me for it. And I told her I was getting on an airplane. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I went in. I'm like, I have to go to a funeral. And I really need to make sure I'm not sick. And I maybe need some steroids because I have asthma. And she's like, well, it sounds like you might have pertussis. <laughs> sure. oh, wow. Go on an airplane. But go ahead. Go get, ahead on get on the airplane. <laughs> but they didn't report that to the CDC. No. No. no, no. It didn't test me. Because if they test you, they have to report it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to deal with that, I'm sure. Okay. Here we go. Same as any any so, thing. So 2018 pertussis, 78% of cases were fully up to date on vaccinations. Boom! And, Which, and, and that still be, and got it. And that's fully up to date. That's not even including the ones who would have been vaccinated before but just hadn't been vaccinated within the last 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And only 12% were unvaccinated. But how many people... In the states, is it just over five percent that's not vaccinated as a whole? 
in the state? I think it's hard to know because you don't know adult status. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this, this is going by what the numbers Dr. Laura saying was for children. 95% was there. She, oh, the 95%. Oh. This was kindergarten. Here, should we show another chart? <laughs> <laughs> You want to talk about it? <clears throat> so the, okay, so this is the kindergarten. Yeah, so this for, is for our viewers and listeners. So one of the things that Kara was trying to hit on, or that I, I don't know, that I, I'm assuming she was tr trying to hit on, um, but she couldn't stop getting interrupted, <laughs> um, was she was trying to discuss the, the difference between the kindergarten rates and the first grade rates. Because a lot of s children enter kindergarten at age four, Mm. At age five, some of them don't turn six until they're in first grade. Some of them turn six when they're in kindergarten, but there's a little bit of a gap there. So you might have a child entering kindergarten who hasn't had their fifth birthday yet, so hasn't been due for DTAP or polio or their fifth dose of DTAP or polio or MMR. So their parents may submit a, you know, they get the, the letter from the school nurse, your child needs these in order to be a kindergarten. Well, they're not five yet, so and, let's just and do And we have, their well, well child visit is scheduled for December 15th. Right. Yep. They've already, you schedule them, the, the year you do go to a well child, mm -hmm. and when you're checking out, they say, do you want to schedule the one for next year? And you schedule it, it's already on the books. So they're on the books to get that vaccine, but they haven't gotten it yet at the start of the school year. So they're listed as an exempted child, even though they're gonna get the vaccine in, in October or December or in March months. when they turn five. And, the, and they're not gonna go in, okay, I'm just speaking from experience because I have three kids. I'm not gonna go back in and give the nurse something and then expect that she's gonna go get that exemption form back out of the file. I'm just gonna be like, whatever, you know? Right. I, I'm, and I'm sorry if that makes me sound lazy. But I've already signed this in, and it probably wouldn't cross my mind again to go back to the nurse and say, "Oh, by the way, can you ch get our exemption fi file, uh, you know, form out of the file? Do something different." They just they did the thing the nurse asked them to do at the beginning of the year. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I see what you're saying. That doesn't sound lazy. That just it's it's understandable. It's you just have, practical. Yeah. It's just not you trying to do extra paperwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have this, so you have this jump every year between kindergarten and first grade when all of the vaccination rates go up and the exemption rates go down every single year. And you want to know what they magically did last year? They magically did not take the first grade data. Magically. Magically. That's so magic. That's Isn't ironic. It? That's, that's why, why, why do you think that is? Well, you know, it might have run contrary to their points. It sounds like it, it would have. It's the same for 7th or 6th grade, I believe I heard her say, too, they, Kara. They changed something about they report the way they report stuff. They still report, but it's slightly different in 7th grade. Hmm. They Oh, they don't report the MMR in 7th grade. Um, but, I mean, what we have, and I think also Kara was trying to get across, she took... If you look at the rates over here, at the t so this is kindergarten, and at the end, it shows by vaccine the total vaccination rate. And I think she took each one of those, put them, added them there, and then divided it to get a like an average, an average of all the vaccine. And it's about ninety-four point seven is what she said. Mm -hmm. Weird. But one yeah. of the other, I mean, one of the other. But things that's not ninety-five. 
<laughs> well, and what they're talking about was herd immunity can be anywhere it's between not. 80 and 95%. So 95% is the top threshold. And 87, you said, between 87 and 95. Eight, between 80 and 95. That's what they want to get That's, to. So yeah, 95 is, is going above and beyond. Right. Yeah. With it's, the current law that we have. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like, exactly, the current voluntary law that we have. That does not mandate. It, that vaccines. is not punitive. Yes. It does not exclude children from school. does not exclude children from day summer camp and daycare or, yeah. and after school sports. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, we're, you know, it. all of the data to us looks like we're where they want us to be. Which shouldn't be a problem, then. I don't think it's a problem. I, I, to me, LD798 seems to be a solution looking for a problem. Seems like a, a, a bit of control is what they want. A right. little more control than they have now. Yeah. Well, it's... I guess Laura, after 15 years, is done fighting, and she, she's she done compromising, she so she's had it. We need to put this law in place. <laughs> yeah. She's done. She needs a vacation. There's no more middle ground with Laura Blaisdell. Also, is she, is she actively practicing right now? It's unclear. Going that we're unclear if she's actively a pediatrician. She got very offended. Yes, she did. When she, it was asked. That's not the issue at hand. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Kara... That's not the issue I can't at hand. That you would ask me that. Kara, I find that question very disrespectful. She couldn't. Whatever. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, we looked into it. I looked. Uh, we looked into it. Tried to. Um, and it appears that she's listed at the Maine Medical Center Pediatric Clinic. Um, but it's unclear if she's taking any patients. Mm. Um, and she's also listed at the Maine Medical Center. Uh, there's a research institute connected to the main medical center, and it's called the CORE, C-O-R-E. Um, so she's doing a lot of research is what it, it appears when you, when you Google her name. And one of the things she researches is vaccine hesitancy. Well, I have no idea why. It's just a coincidence that yeah. oh, oh, she's oh, involved oh. in 798. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's out of the goodness of her heart. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Blue is Maine and red is the United States, and they like to say that we're super far behind the rest of the United States in our averages for vaccination. It looks like we're above. And ding, 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 I'm, ding, I'm ding, looking ding. all the way across. I've got the same you, copy You must here. be looking at the wrong CDC data. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God, that was another thing that yeah. was just sending me over the detail. Yeah. yeah. And some there's another chart that I didn't include in the packet, but... Um, it does show a, a bigger discrepancy between the main rates and the United States rates. And when I was involved in some of that data gathering last year before the hearing, what we found is that um, th there can be a real problem when you're looking at data collected, say, in Maine, when they have one way of collecting it here, and when every other state in the United States might be using different ways to collect their data. Mm -hmm. The school nurses in Maine are really, really good at take. They they know the vaccine sta status of all the students in their school. They have chased down every exemption form. Their data, when they say it's this many exemptions, this many vaccinations, it's going to total 100 percent. 
you look, you dig into the data on some other states, and a lot of it is guesswork. They'll take like an average. They'll say, we think we have, based on this number, we're guessing that the rest of the population has this. And so sometimes when you take their vaccination rates plus their exemption rates, it doesn't equal 100%. So when they're, <laughs> when they're comparing the rest of the United States with Maine or with other states, if you really dig into it, it doesn't add up. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Because uh, would you think that would drastically uh, change these values? Uh, like if, they, if other states were to be able to get to 100% mm-hmm. uh, in, in their collecting, sure. would it... Would it reflect the same on here would it would you think it would generally look roughly the same i know states like california are now mandating right vaccines so their figures are going to be much higher than ours because they're 100 percent. you have no choice not right? necessarily no <laughs> <laughs> well some of the stuff that uh that was uncovered prior to the hearing last year for 798 showed that what's happening is that there is less enrollment in public school. Um, So there's more homeschoolers in California now than there were before they had their mandates. And the vaccination rates among toddlers has gone down quite a bit. So instead of instilling more trust and more compliance, there's actually, like they thought, they have less compliance and less people opting into public school. And they have high school dropouts because they have some other um, mandates they have in California, they have like checkpoints. So you have to have certain vaccines at kindergarten, certain ones at seven. And so if you had an exemption, it's only good until your next checkpoint. So like if you're, some kids were grandfathered in, they had exemptions before, Mm. they allow them until the next checkpoint. Well, some of these high schoolers can think for themselves. And if they're not required by law to stay in school, they're going to be like, see ya. Yeah. So you've got higher, more dropouts. And, you know, you could say, is that associated? Yes or no. But I think the whole picture, so looking at it and, you know, Dr. Pan out there saying, oh, well, we've really got our vaccination rate up. Yeah, well, you have a lot, whole heck of a lot of people leaving public school, too. Dr. Pan, he doesn't know much about Dr. I have n- no, no idea. But just work the way that they work. Oh, well, let's put it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they just, and, and, and water is the most dangerous ingredient <laughs> in vaccines, according to Pan. He's completely delusional. Mm-hmm. Pan made out like a bandit with uh, pharma money. Try it. Mm-hmm. So. That was one thing that they, t- they um, I thought that they were very misleading on um, during the debate is they were talking about the contributions that the sponsors of LD 798 and if the, whether or not that they received um, medical uh, donations from pharmaceutical companies. And the thing that they're not taking into account for is in Maine we have clean elections. And for those who don't know, the clean elections fund essentially means that you can't take donations. You run based on money. The government gives you money, so the government takes taxpayer money and gives you a certain amount to run your campaign. And if you do it that way, you cannot accept private donations from uh, a pharmaceutical company or your neighbor or you can't accept private donations from a private citizen, a private company, anything like that. So the money really comes into these elections through PACs. 
Hmm. And they're not looking at the PACs that spent money in those districts. They're not looking at the PACs that sent out mailers on behalf of these candidates. They're not looking at that type of thing. They found two legislators who got $400 donations each from Merck. Only two direct ones, because $400 is the cap. That is allowed after as, government as, subsidy. As a yeah, as a direct so, contribution. So not every candidate has to take the government subsidy. It's okay. a, it's a choice. When you run, you can choose to either run traditionally. It's called traditional financing, where you would either self finance or you would solicit donations, and those donations you can get raise a maximum of eight hundred dollars from one individual. So two hundred for your primary election, the first half of your campaign, and two hundred for the second half of your campaign, the general election. If you don't run traditional, then you can you collect $5 checks from a certain number of people. And if you cross that threshold, then you automatically get money from the government to run your campaign. But you cannot take any other donations. Really? Mm-hmm. Maine's the only state in the country that has this program. <laughs> and we're, we're expected to believe that they stuck by these. Rules. Well, well, they, they have to. to I mean, legal, legally, they wouldn't have been able to take donations themselves. But there's nothing preventing a PAC from coming in. There's nothing mm-hmm. preventing the Maine Medical Association from coming in and saying, you know, Linda Sanborn has been really great, and she's running for state senate now, and that's an even more, you know, that's a more powerful position. She's got a larger district, more constituents. I bet she'd support some vaccine legislation. We should do a a, a, a mailer in her district. There's nothing to prevent that. And there's no cap on a mailer? No, no. There's no there's no cap on any PAC. So a PAC can come in and, I mean, if they wanted to, they could dump a million dollars into Ryan Tipping's election. Now, they can't give it to Ryan Tipping directly. They just have to come in and say, you know what, we're going to send out a bunch of mailers. We're going to do a bunch of TV ads telling people to vote for Ryan Tipping. There's no limit for that. Which is what they did. So. We don't know. Uh, We don't know for sure. We didn't look into it. Yeah, you'd have to really dig through it all. But for them to just say that none of these legislators have any association with pharmaceutical companies. It's it's ridiculous. It's just absurd. Yeah. It's just absurd. It's it's that way for for everything, for every every bill that is passed through and every lobbyist. Yeah. Was it Peter Michaud? Yeah, Peter. I mean, Mm -hmm. Peter Michaud gave testimony saying that he wrote LD-798. And he's we're, a we're sitting there, and he he's a lobbyist, and we're sitting there listening to his testimony, and he he like says like off the cuff as though it's no big deal about how well I actually wrote this bill, so I'm very familiar with it. And he is a lobbyist for the Maine Medical Association. <coughs> you can't tell me that the Maine Medical Association didn't care whether or not Ryan Tipping and Linda Sanborn got elected. Yeah, they, they most definitely get <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That doesn't pass the straight face test. You yeah. can't. <laughs> you, you can't tell me <laughs> that they didn't care about. You know what I mean? Yeah. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. I mean, when they're brazen enough to during testimony in front of a committee say, "Well, I wrote this legislation, so I'm very familiar with it." Yeah, and if you, at the time it's not there now, but at the time, if you would have gone to the Maine Medical Association's website. It lists their donors, their partners. Their corporate partners. Their corporate partners. Pfizer, Merck, Johnson & Johnson. So that's who they're getting their money from. Big she Pharma. tried lying on the debate. Oh, yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. It's not what we're here to discuss. Well, yeah, because, you know, the no side kept saying that, you know, because so the yes side's slogan was reject Big Pharma, right? 
and the No campaign was so adamant. They said, we're just a ragtag team of volunteers. We're parents just trying to keep kids safe and healthy. There's nothing to do with Big Pharma. Big Pharma isn't in this room. Big Pharma oh, yeah, isn't in this room. Yeah. yeah. It isn't in this yeah. room. Press conference, I think, yeah. Yeah. What it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's not in this Liz room. Dill, that's what she said. She and said Big Pharma's not in this room, and they were. And come to find out, they dropped half a million, actually more than half a million dollars on ads. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying, oh, well, we're glad to have that money because vaccine for, for life-saving vaccines, of course they're going to want to do that. It's out of the goodness of, uh, out of the goodness of their hearts. Yes. It's not for the money. No. No. No, because pharmaceutical no. companies care about people. Yeah. Hence, yeah, hence why Vioxx, they, they charge yeah, Vioxx mil, never mil, hurt mil, anybody. Billions Vioxx, of dollars. Vioxx was there to help people. Yeah. It wasn't there to cause heart attacks. They had no idea. Yeah, and now we, there's, <laughs> you know, HPV vaccine has nothing to do with making up for all the losses over Vioxx. Nothing. There's no connection there at all. No. no. <laughs> Zero. It's, it's like we said at the beginning. It, they the herd immunity they 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 just want to i this is my opinion that i'm gonna go ahead and say um i feel like in the medical field though they help in every aspect helps you know what i mean mm -hmm. it, it all kind of seems like a gigantic business and at, yeah. at the forefront of everything or sure. in, the, in the background of everything it's just a gigantic business mm -hmm. so in, in order to treat you they could treat you like clearly if if pfizer and merck and, and all these companies can make um, medications and vaccines and cancer medications to help uh, cure or not cure, but like help treat the symptoms, sure. then they could find a way also to stop these diseases from happening. They, they could have the science behind. If there's enough science to, to put forth to, to build a vaccine to help you stay safe and healthy, then there'd be enough. Well, I, th I think the bigger question is they getting a, more, a safer vaccine. Yeah. Because since 1986, they haven't had an incentive. Are, are there safer vaccines? Are there like homeopathic type vaccines? I'm not as familiar with homeopathy. Um, I really don't know very much about I it. Think so I think they're called nosodes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anything. I've heard it thrown and, around. And I know that some people use homeopathy um, instead of vaccines essentially as a homeopathic vaccine. It doesn't count um, as vaccination. But legally from like yeah. a, you can you can go to a home um, a homeopath instead of your doctor to get immunity numbers. against yeah. chickenpox. Um, but I know some people do that. But, you know, you're talking about farm as a business and I, I don't begrudge them for being a business. I don't begrudge them for no. trying to run a profitable ship. But as Laura, as Dr. Blaisdell so likes to say, your right to punch ends where my face begins, their right to make money ends when they're harming people. Yeah. When you're creating a product that Congress has deemed unavoidably unsafe, you should be held liable for that. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be allowed to profit and not, not be held accountable for the damage that your product causes. Yeah. And they're not they're not held accountable for the not damage. For, for any vaccine that has been recommended by the CDC to children or pregnant women, pharmaceutical... Oh, can I just add something about the sure. pregnant women? So they added, it was like 2012, they updated the list. So there were some, they, they, add, they made a list of vaccines that, you know, were on the injury table. Or, mm -hmm. um, 
and then they updated it because pregnant they were recommending certain vaccines for pregnant women and um, they also added the flu vaccine which prior wasn't on the list but here's the thing about the recommendations to pregnant women you let's say you get the DTaP vaccine or Tdap as a pregnant woman or the flu vaccine and the pregnant woman is injured she can file a claim with the compensation program if her live born child is injured by that vaccine they can they can claim they can uh, put a claim in for that child's injury they cannot put a claim in if you miscarry your child because of a, of a vaccine because there's no proof but right. if your child is if your live born child is injured you can file a claim and i think that's despicable i agree mm -hmm. yeah and I just, I read, I was reading the language and my mouth just dropped open mm -hmm. because that's saying that your dead baby has absolutely no worth to them. And I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to, I didn't no, bring, mean no, to no. bring the yeah. whole, it's, no, it's a big, it's a big thing. But I mean, even when you look at the compensation, the amounts haven't been updated since the program first started. So if you, if your child dies because they receive a vaccine, the maximum compensation that you are allowed to receive, the absolute most you can receive, is $250,000. Your child's life yeah. is worth $250,000 no to the federal government. Mm -hmm. Let's be very clear, right. died. <laughs> yes, your child yeah. who died is worth $250,000 to the federal government. their argument is prove that it came from the MMR, or prove yeah. that it came from and it's, well, Right, and it's in incredibly difficult to even get a settlement through the compensation program. Mm -hmm. Um, as you were discussing before, the um, the records are sealed. Mm -hmm. So a doctor can say you have two twins who both die from a vaccine or are injured from a you know injured from a vaccine. There's two separate. Go ahead, keep talking. It's just my cat that I don't want to come in here. <laughs> Hi, cat. <laughs> There's going to be two separate two separate cases, two separate claims. The doctor can say one thing in one, and one thing in another. And the records are sealed. No precedent is allowed to be set, so no one would ever know. Wow. Yeah. So like, and you, you sign a non-disclosure. Yeah. As part of the settlement agreement, so you can't discuss the details of your case. You can and say they that never you're have to admit fault. It's a no-fault system. This is something that a lot of people don't even know. They have no idea. Exists. And the reason that the whole the whole vaccine court was created was because kids were dying specifically from the DPT vaccine. Before they came up with the DTAP or the TDAP, they yeah. had the DPT. And the pertussis part was giving kids encephalitis, um, causing brain damage, a lot of SIDS. And um, the vaccine manufacturers were getting sued. And Wyeth had one case where the baby was brain damaged, <clears throat> had a stroke, became brain damaged from the DTP vaccine, and they won $15 million by suing Wyeth. And their case was the first of 30 similar cases wow. to Wyeth. And that was 1978, I think, or no, 1987. Now I'm curious so, to adjust that for inflation. Keep, yeah. keep talking. I'm so, just, I'm, so, I'm curious. So $15 million, one case, and they had 30 more cases behind it, just the same. 
So vaccine manufacturers were, were going out of business yeah. because they couldn't pay for all these lawsuits. So they went to the government and said, we will only continue to make vaccines if you give us a blanket immunity against getting sued. So they passed that. They no longer can be sued. And for every vaccine that your child gets, you pay, or you, it, it's on all vaccines, 75 cent tax is paid by the taxpayer. So if it's a flu vaccine, it's 75 cents. That goes into the fund for injuries. If it's an MMR, it's $2.25. That goes into the fund. So every time you get a vaccine, a chunk of that money is it's taxed and a chunk goes to the vaccine injury compensation. So the, the manufacturers aren't even paying for the injuries. Your mouths are hanging open right now. So they don't even pay. That's wild. There are very <laughs> wow. certain there are very certain instances where you can still sue the manufacturer. I was talking to this to our friend about mm -hmm. that because it's a little confusing. So you have to you can sue for fraud. Which Merck is being sued for fraud. Yep. But you right have now. to. Right now. Mm -hmm. You Pending, have. Yeah. yeah. You have to know they were committing fraud that created before you sue. It's really convoluted. So there's really only. And the other way you can sue is you go through the in, uh, compensation program and you say, I still want to sue. Then you can sue. Uh, okay. So there's really two it's, it's very specific ways. Yeah. Yeah. So did you figure it out? I did. So um, I'm sorry, what year did you say it was? 1987 is when they got the 15 the million. The 15 million. Mm -hmm. So it's equivalent to about 34 million. Today. Wow. Yeah, that they got for the death, for the not even the death, the injury of their child. And now, and now you can't sue. Nope. Unless you well, jump you to, through hoops. You have to go through, yeah, you have to go through vaccine which injury court. Which could take Which does take years. Yes. And even if you win, will take years to get the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And good luck to you while you wait. Yeah. We know a few people While that, you suffer because your child just died. Right. And you have or, to. Or, you your have child to was or your child was injured, mm -hmm. and now you have astronomical medical bills. You're paying yeah. for around-the-clock care or. And sometimes the last thing you think about is, let's sue the people that gave this vaccine. Right, and it's a very short window. Two years. Two years from the first onset of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how many of us have gone to a doctor's visit where you get a vaccine or your child is getting a vaccine, and what they do is, okay, sometimes they don't even give you the sheet, but they walk in and they're like, this, these are the vaccines you're getting today. And they just hand it to you and then they leave the room and they like come back. Like it's a menu, like you're sitting down to dinner. Here's what you're gonna be eating tonight. And at the very bottom, it has, you know, it shows, you know, tells you, you can go on the internet and look at, they're called VIS, Vaccine Information seat, Sheet. And it's a, it's a legal requirement. It's part of that um, whole vaccine, Childhood Vaccine um, Injury Act or mm -hmm. something. I can't remember the name of the act that they legally have to give you that document. If you're not given the document, you can file a complaint. I've never been given any yeah. document. So no. it has the name of the vaccine. No. It has a little line down here. And it might be one-sided, it might be two-sided, and it tells you what the vaccine's for, what the mild side effects might be, the moderate, nope. the severe, never any of that. Um, when to call your doctor. And then right down here at the very bottom, in, in, the, like, smallest letters, in the smallest probably. letters, 
it says, you know, you can report your own injuries to VAERS, and it also says this is information for the next uh, National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not a lot of people know this or see no, this. No, I mean, no. My child, a lot of nurses don't know this. Yeah, that's really? a whole that's a whole And they're other the ones thing. that are administ administering the the vaccine. They're taught how to it's administer. It's not the doctors. It. The doctors don't know it. how to do the doctors don't the people don't know. Yeah. And they set up um, a surveillance system called VAERS, Vaccine Adverse uh, uh, Event Reporting System, which is also a part of this act. And doctors, well, healthcare professionals are obligated to report adverse events by law. They but must report. But there's no penalty if they do not. That's and unfortunate. Yeah. So it's very unfortunate. It is really. Mm -hmm. Wow. But I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. There's really not much more to say. I mean, but anybody else can, you can, you or I could also um, report an injury. And some people who maybe don't believe vaccine injury exists or that it's super, super rare will call and make, they'll, they'll do false claims. Like they'll say, I turned into Superman or, you know, stupid stuff to, to prove that anybody can do it. Yeah. And ev anything you report shows up in the system. You can't get rid of a, you can't get rid of an event in the system. So once they even, even with bogus events like that, even with doctors being mandated reporters. Oh, hi. <laughs> you got a baby. <laughs> so even with doctors being mandated reporters, even with patients being able to report themselves, even with some people filing bogus reports to try to prove a point, the federal government estimates that they only know about 1% of vaccine injuries. Only 1% of vaccine injuries have been reported into that system. So let's, let's wow. give an That's their best estimate. So let's give That's an example. Wild. If you look up, anybody can access data from the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. You just, you know, do www.veris.com, and you can That's look up different up. adverse events. We've got a visitor here. Yeah, he, he always stays <laughs> the show. I love it. <laughs> he's, he's the star. Um, you can look up adverse events for any vaccine, any state. You can look up hospitalization, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> um, in Maine, let's pick the MMR. In Maine, there are 506 adverse events for the MMR. That's it, that includes 173 ER visits, 18 hospitalizations, and one death. And for the MMRV, there were 71 events, including two hospitalizations and 19 ER visits. And that's just 1%. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. But you have the other thing to keep in mind, I couldn't, there could be a way, but when I was looking in the VAERS, I couldn't figure out how to, you have to download all of the data to be able to sort it out by year. So those numbers I just gave you are all the way back to when they first started reporting. So we're talking, yeah. So that's from 1990 till present, but still you're looking at it's not just one in a million like everybody yeah. likes to say. It's mind blowing. It's it's mm -hmm. it's it all kind of seems like a big scheme when when there's all this misinformation and lack of information that's being showed to everybody. 
and you have to dig for all this information, mm -hmm. that's that's almost not fair. That almost kind of goes against what we call democracy. It goes against do no harm. It does. Mm -hmm. And Laura Blaisdell in the um, the debate the other night, she said, I took a solemn oath to do no harm. And I think that there are some doctors out there who think that that's what they're doing. And there are some doctors who are brainwashed. Um, but I, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think that that's what they're doing by, by not reporting injuries, by not, in the state of Maine, there are no doctors, there's no training to learn what serious adverse reactions are. There is no training for medical profession, professionals to treat adverse reactions to vaccines. Um, so if you're not teaching people how to recognize and report these things and how to help them get the appropriate care, of course it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how can Laura Blaisdell stand up there and say she took a solemn oath to do no harm when she doesn't even know where to look for harm? Well, and not only are they averse to learning about it, but in the past three, I believe it's the past three legislative sessions, um, Representative O'Connor has introduced legislation that would mandate training on vaccine injury. Which which should be the case. There right, sh there that, that the D DHHS would have an obligation to provide doctors with, inf with information about how to recognize a vaccine injury, how to properly document a vaccine injury, how to treat a vaccine injury in case something happens, how to help parents go through the process. You know, how do you get them in touch with this stuff? And every single session, they have been very hostile. Are there other it. states that have training and mandated training for doctors? Not no. Nope. So j as a blanket, it's just not there for nope. the doctors. The closest that they got was, I believe it was the 2014 session. Um, they got a link put up on the DHHS website. Hmm. To VAERS. Just a link. That that was that was the extent of the law. I th and I think that was because there were there were physicians on the Health and Human Services Committee who didn't know what VAERS was, so they conceded that maybe they should put a link up on their website. And what did that link? link it just brought to? it just brought them to the, the so that system. if somebody so that, wants to report, so somebody yeah. So then in theory, somebody went to DHHS trying to figure out where to report a vaccine injury, they would have a, a link on a website that they could report to. And, you know, the state of Maine has, we've found out that, you know, they have acknowledged that they take no information to record vaccine injuries. We asked them this, or it wasn't me, but it was asked of the Health and Human Services Committee if they record vaccine injury for Maine. And they said, you should maybe go and ask the immunization, the Maine Immunization Board, which is part of Health and Human Services. So people went there and they said, gee, we heard you guys are the people to talk to to find out about vaccine injuries. And they said, who told you that? And they said, well, Health and Human Services. And they said, nope, not us. And they said, well, why don't you go to VAER to, no, um, not, oh, yeah, look at VAERS. And, you know, VAERS is like, no, you, you need to go back to, you know, so it was like this circular kind of thing. 
And so the, the point is nobody collects any data on how many vaccine injuries there are in Maine. And um, people who think that vaccine injuries are super, super rare will say that VARES is just bogus because you can self-report. Yeah. Right. Um, and you have the whole Superman, whatever. <laughs> and they say, well, it's not real because anybody can report. But then you have you have these different institutions in the government saying that that's their only place to look for vaccine injuries. That's it, counterproductive. It, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Right. So they don't collect it because they don't want it. In my opinion, they don't want to know. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what it would seem like. They don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Because if they know, then they have to do something about it. Absolutely. Bingo. Yep. And that, there, um, there was a law or a bill that was put forward last session as well um, by Representative Harrington, I believe. From, he's from York County. And it was very simple. All it would be mm. was that on an emergency room intake form, they would have to ask the question, when was your last date of immunization? When was your last date of vaccination? Any vaccine. Any, any vaccine. Just when was your last date of vaccination? And it's a, I mean, if you're going to the emergency room, you don't have to answer these questions. They're completely optional. You know, you have to answer enough that the doctor is able to treat you. But that would at least, yes, my child was vaccinated 12 hours ago or 36 hours ago or two weeks ago. And now they're presenting with these symptoms. At least it gets the doctor thinking about it. Because when you're going to the emergency room, you're not seeing your primary care physician. They have no idea, you know, unless they're going back in your charts and saying, look at that. Today you were, you know, and assuming that you're going to an emergency room that's in the same network as your primary care physician. Mm -hmm. If you go through a little, small little practice that doesn't have online reporting to the hospitals, they have no idea. They just have to go back. If if you you went to Walgreens and got a flu shot and got a flu flu shot. Yeah. And 12 hours later, you're having a massive reaction to it. Your doctor is not going to think to ask. Yeah. They wouldn't call you. Yeah. You're not the pharmacist isn't going to call and say, Hey, how how's your flu shot going? <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. They don't even know what you're, you know, likely they don't even know your name. Yeah. So all it was, was a little line on a form saying and that didn't pass. Yeah. No, no, no. Yep. Yep. It's fear mongering. It, it would be, be yes. fear mongering to put that on, on the form, but it should be there. It should. Mm-hmm. It should. It's, it's important information to have. Sometimes scary stuff's important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's. I think and that's if it's a irrelevant. Big issue then people. it's irrelevant. Yes. I mean, like if I if I go into the emergency room and they ask me when my last vaccination, I'm going. Oh. Yeah, can't High remember. School? Yeah. You know. Okay, it's not on that issue. <laughs> yeah, I think in um, in Iowa, they they're trying, and I don't know what happened to it. It may have probably failed, but they somebody put forward a bill that if a baby dies of SIDS. It must, the date of their last vaccination must be recorded on the death certificate, Um, which is another one of those things that you would think that when a baby or a child dies unexpectedly, it would be good information to know. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's failed, but it's one of those common sense things that they don't want to put that association together. So they don't want to record that. Because they don't want to know. Because it no, goes against them a little bit. It's easier to blame mothers than pharmaceutical companies. Absolutely. It's, oh, well, they were co-sleeping. Or, they were co-sleeping. Oh, or she fell asleep while holding the baby. Or, or they had a stuffed animal in the crib. Yeah. Or, or, which, in my experience, uh, doesn't seem to make much of a difference. The baby knows when something near its face. 
Yeah. Uh, for the most part. I mean, maybe not an infant, a small, young baby. But after yeah. about six months when they when they can kind of hold their head straight, they know when something's in front mm-hmm. of their face. Yeah. Yeah. So likely the cause of most of SIDS has to do with vaccines, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just outright say that. That's sure. truth. But Well, I think the data shows that a lot of SIDS cases do happen in close association with vaccination, um, particularly, well, particularly in the first year. Um, and they, I read a study when I was looking up the beginning of the vaccine injury compensation program, because it was all those DPT shots, you know, and stuff. Um, they were finding that the association between a vaccine and death drops off significantly, like at about, I want to say, day 15. Now, if there was no vaccine involved and it was just totally random, you wouldn't see a drop Mm -hmm. at that age if you took a big sample of babies at the same age. What's the difference between you would have the deaths very evenly spread out between day zero and day 30. So why is there this dramatic drop in the the number of deaths at day 15 or whatever it was? It's because there's an association with the when the vaccine was given. So I think there is something. I think it happens for lots of, for not lots, but other reasons as well, which I'm not familiar with. But I do know that there does seem to be a very strong association with vaccination. I agree. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you said that you two are both part of a nonprofit profit organization. Yes. Um, so Natasha and I um, helped, or Natasha really launched, and I kind of just helped her. And we uh, have a third partner too. Too. Her name is Tiffany. She's she lives up in Lemoyne, so she couldn't be here. I've never today. even heard of that. So, <laughs> so Lemoyne's part of what us native Mainers like to call real Maine. Oh. <laughs> Uh, it's just up in Hancock County, so it's it's a little oh, further whoa, north. Wow, way up there. Yeah. Oh, that's not that far. That's a good oh, come on. Oh, come 100 on. miles or so? Uh, yeah, probably. About three yeah. and a half hours? Yeah. Uh, uh, probably about three. Probably about three to here. Um, I have family all from all over the state, so yeah. I, I always get a kick out of because I'm actually the only one in southern Maine now. Um, my parents just moved back up north. Uh, they get tired of the hustle and bustle down here. <laughs> the hustle and bustle. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's pretty slow going up there. So yes. I can imagine. Yeah. So it's it's always funny to be with Southern Maine. People are like, oh, wow, that's so far away. Because to me, it's just, I don't know. It's just where it is. I have family that lives up in Patton, Stacyville area. Okay. Yeah. 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 So okay. I think, and I'm not sure if that's the same county, but. Uh, I think that's Penobscot. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's Penobscot County, which Penobscot County is a huge yeah. county. Not as big as Aroostook, but it's, Penobscot is just tall it's just tall it's just yeah. tall yeah we need we need like a map of maine oh right, look we, you know, we do have maine and it's separated by counties it is separated so yeah you've got so that's where tiff is and that's where we are and then see like if you'd said like washington county that's way up there like yeah washington county is yeah it is up there. that is up there um what county is this oh, we're stuck yeah well, see i'm from away so you're not from Maine? I'm from Minnesota. I'm from the real city, Minneapolis. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm from Connecticut. Okay. So it's 
I'm not from that far away, but yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But you were saying, but yeah. So, um, so we started a nonprofit called Health Choice Maine. Um, so it's a essentially a state branch of a larger nonprofit called Health Health Choice. So they're a more national um, focus, and we're focused on the state of Maine. And a large part of what we um, are focused on is right right now is vaccination because of the law coming out, and because there's so many questions about it. So many people want to know more, don't know very much, don't want to learn anymore. Um, <laughs> but what? really health choice as a whole. Yeah. Helping people navigate. Fighting for medical yeah. freedom, for informed consent, um, educating people on how to heal chronic, how to heal and avoid and heal chronic illness. You know, being able to educate people on sort of their options between, you know, all, all different medicines and, and healing that's available, um, parental rights in general, you know, whether it's your right to access your child's medical records when they turn 12, you know, so you don't have to get permission from your child every time. That's something I want to tackle personally. That's a real thing? That's a real thing. When they turn 12, you're no longer allowed to... Yep. Look at their charts. Uh, I don't know if it depends on your insurance company or the medical practice your child is in, but generally speaking, at about the age of 12, in most states, children, um, adult parents are not allowed to access their children's medical records without their parents' consent for privacy issues. So you still have to pay all the bills, but you don't get to access. So, so things like that, um, you know, maybe overreach with um, DHHS or with um, the judicial uh, system when it's uh, involved with DHHS and parental rights and those th things like that, um, issues, issues with parenting and, um, and freedom and medical choice. So it's not, just, it's not just vaccines and your right to consent. Um, it's medical freedom overall. That's wonderful. Now how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to know more information? We have a great website, healthchoicemaine.org. Mm -hmm. um, and then our email address is info at healthchoicemaine.org. Mm -hmm. And we are on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm. We're on Twitter too, but we don't tweet. Yeah, no, <laughs> Twitter's, Twitter's is just angry. It is really, it's yeah. So, be angry. It's so angry. And you have to, I feel like you have to be on Twitter all the time. Because you really, it's like Twitter is like, you know, you got to really engage. Yeah. I and. Just, and there's only a limited amount of characters in Twitter. Mm -hmm. I think 140 or 240. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. We have lives. We don't, we yeah. don't have time <laughs> yeah. to I don't, I don't want to spend all day arguing with angry people on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so our, what's Instagram? Our is Instagram is healthchoicemme. All right. Bef before I, uh, I, I let you guys go sure. home, I want to get those down so I can yeah, make yeah, sure absolutely. that I can put sure. them in the description for Definitely. people to get. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So find us on Facebook. Um, we have a public page. Oh, tomorrow. Yeah, it's probably your podcast isn't gonna be out, but I'm gonna. You can go ahead and mention it. But they people need to go to our Facebook page and like it because we often have um, we have a series of three speakers coming um, to educate uh, the community to educate Gorham about what's going on with the vaccine laws in Maine and to talk about the incidence of vaccine-targeted illnesses. And so we envision being able to do more of these events around the state, um, people who may be able to teach you about, oh, spring is coming up, so maybe natural alternatives to 
allergy medicines. Mm. Or maybe we might have somebody speak about homeopathy or a chiropractor talking about something else. So, you know, because our our mission is to help support people in their choices and how, how can people make choices if they don't know what they are. Absolutely. So go to the page yeah. and, and watch it because we'll be offering these things, a lot of them for free. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and tomorrow. So tomorrow we have uh, Dr. Merrill Nass is coming down from Ellsworth, another way far up their town. <laughs> uh, so she has testified before Congress, I think it's six different times, mm-hmm. specifically on vaccines. Um, she was appointed to a congressional committee on vaccines at one point. Um, she's a world-renowned expert on vaccines and specifically the anthrax vaccine and military vaccines, which is a whole horse of a different color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just... That's a whole rabbit hole to get down to with that. But she will be speaking about um, childhood vaccines and the vaccines at hand with LD-798 and herd immunity Mm -hmm. and all of those things. So if you ever want to know what's in a vaccine and how it might affect you, Meryl Nass is, is your person. She is an expert like none other. Do you know how I could get a hold of her? <laughs> yes, you can come tomorrow. You can come tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's at Moody's Collision Center. They have a beautiful event space above their offices. Okay. Uh, 4 to 6 p.m. And everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter if you're leaning yes or you're leaning no or you're totally in the middle. Just come and join us because all she's going to do is give facts. Which is which is what we need. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yep. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming. Thank, thank you so much for having us. I'm happy that you came in because there's a lot of information that people oh, really don't know. Yeah. I hope they don't get bored listening to this. <laughs> no. Uh, you, it's been uh, one hour and 52 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, my, my gosh. gosh. Time flies. So what, what if when people are listening and, they, and they're, like, really into what we're talking about, time is nothing. Yeah. Cool. Right. Yeah. Well, have us back another time. We'd I'd, love, I'd we'd love hanging love out with to. you and your yeah, and your wife fun. and your, your little one. Yeah, there'll be another little one soon. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's congratulations. So exciting. Thank congratulations. you. Well, well, that's it. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. You so Thank much. you. Oh my gosh, that was fun. Later, everybody. Wow, that was an informative episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Shout out to Natasha and Ashley from Health Choice Maine for coming by. Kind of setting the record straight. You can check them out at healthchoicemaine.org and on Instagram and Facebook at Health Choice Emmy. Shout out to Mike DiPietro for the fly ass intro and outro beats. You can check him out on SoundCloud at Dip Vintage. Until next time, one love people. <laughs>